service. As we reflect on what happened on that day, I want to read Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, our Savior, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It says, for the joy set before him. And when I think of that scripture, I see us. I see his church. I see his people. He is he's giving his life for. Scorning the shame of that cross and the sin. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. On that day, he said, it is finished. If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice, I will hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. If the storms of life, they come And the road ahead gets steep I will lift these hands in faith I will believe I remind myself of all that you've done And the life I had because of your son
the day he took the stripes for our peace. The day he took the punishment The day that he could have called down heaven, could have called it down, all the power of heaven. He could have called it on that place. He could have said it's over. But for the joy set before him, scorning the shame, for the sin that we would continue to bear upon Him. God, we thank You for that. We thank You that we come to You just as we are, Lord, just as we are. The mess, the brokenness, help us understand that we don't need to come with everything in order with our plans drawn out allow us to come to you Lord just as we are with our brokenness and tonight he wants you to come to him just as you are with your imperfections with your inabilities with the things that you fail to do he's calling out to you and he's saying come as you are let me take those burdens let me take the struggles and we'll do that together we'll do that together as we worship this next song is about having hope having that living hope he wants you to know that there's hope. is finished the end is raised
the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on Sunday morning. Tonight's a, a quieter night because that's appropriate. That's what we need. In fact, uh, if you can even kill the lights on me just a little bit more, just so I can read. Uh, there's going to be a few. That's good. That's good. There's only a few things on the screen. I just want you to focus on the cross for the next little bit. There are some people who have said things in their life that we, when we hear their statement, we know who it was. We know, give me liberty or give me death. We, we know it's Patrick Henry. We know when we hear one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. We know Neil Armstrong. We know when we hear Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. We know Ronald Reagan. We know when we hear, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We know John F. Kennedy. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Not a pretty one or a smooth one but an old rugged cross. It was the emblem of suffering and shame. But those of us who know the story have fallen in love with that cross. We're the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Paul told the Roman church, this is how God showed his love for us. And while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. It's not something to be remembered or to be worn or to be thought of as the emblem of Christianity. It's an important part of our story. But the cross is a symbol of torture and death. Sunday, we're going to talk about a symbol. Because the empty tomb is the symbol of Christianity. That's what separates us. We've been in this series leading up to Easter. We've been talking about 
great messages, great lessons that we learned on great hills in the Bible. And how the people, when they were there, needed to learn the lesson and take that message off of the hill. And and so as we've been going through these, we've been thinking about how we can learn lessons from these hills and take them off this hill to a world that, that so desperately needs to hear this. But this, this without a doubt, is the hardest hill to climb. Mount Calvary was horrible. It was horrible on the night that we remember tonight. Once Jesus was placed on the cross and he's lifted up into the air, he said seven things that have echoed through time. And Good Friday always seems, always seems like a, such a strange terminology, a strange way to remember one of the most brutal, horrific acts in the history of all mankind. But only, only then was a truly innocent man, no crimes, no sins, sacrificed. But it was all about sacrifice. I just want us to look at the the things that Jesus said while he hung on a cross dying. Most of them are found in the Gospel of Luke or in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in Luke 23 and in John 19 and go back and forth just a little bit. But the first thing that Jesus said that we have recorded once the cross is lifted up and in the ears, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And it says that the soldiers were at the foot of the cross gambling for his clothes by throwing dice. The the purely human instinct. Because the, the, the special part of Jesus was for these 33 years, he was both God and man. He was both God and man here on earth. But he surrendered the God card while he was here so that he could live as a man and suffer as a man and no temptation as a man so he would know everything that you and I go through but the purely human natural thing in that moment was far from father forgive them it would have been much much more in line with I'm going to get you for this you're going to pay for this But Jesus understood that those poor men at the foot of the cross that were gambling for his clothes, that had nailed him to the cross, that had raised the cross up, they had no clue what was really going on. They were following orders. They didn't understand. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. Because when you look back at your life, when you look back at the pages of your life, Are there things that you did that you later look back and say, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? In that moment, I didn't know what I was doing. And our advocate says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, with that said, moving forward to 2023, when we do know what we're doing, and we choose to go against the will of God anyway, that's a different story. That's the story that needs forgiveness and needs sacrifice. But as we go through those things and we realize, oh, I didn't realize what I was doing or I didn't know what I was doing and I I can't believe I did that. I'm sorry I did it. We also need in those moments, remember when they brought the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery naked except for a a bed sheet or something probably wrapped around her and Jesus granted her forgiveness but do you remember what he told her go and sin no more don't go back to doing what you've been doing don't go back to hanging out with the people you've been hanging out with don't go back to those same places don't end up in this place again go and be different forgive them father They don't know what they're doing. The next thing Jesus said on the cross, I think has become one of the most controversial passages of Scripture 
since this day. In Luke 23, sorry, verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed at him and said, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal, the guy on the other side, he protested. He said, don't you even fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our sins, for our crimes. They're they're being crucified as criminals. They've committed crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And then Jesus simply turned his head and said, I assure you of this, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. I said it has become one of the most confusing and misunderstood verses of Scripture because quite often I have people tell me, well, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. You don't have to be baptized to to accept Jesus. I I don't know that that wants to, you want that to be your, your landing point. First of all, we have no way of knowing whether or not that man had been baptized or not. They've been baptizing people for years, decades. And, and in recent years, in Jesus' ministry years, they had been baptizing them for repentance and forgiveness of sins. But that man wasn't on a cross for sin, per se. He was on a cross for an earthly crime. Now, by the same token, I, I can't take you to a proof text that tells us where he was baptized. I feel fairly confident that if they had taken him off the cross in that moment and taken him and baptized and put him back on the cross, then that would have been, we would have heard about that. But when the one throwing the party says you're in, you're in. Could it be Could it be that the reason that this guy spoke up so quickly to defend Jesus was because he already knew Jesus? Because he had tried to follow him, but in the earthly sense, he'd messed up, committed a crime that he had to pay for. See, I don't care if you're a Christian or not. If you commit a crime, you got to do the time. That, that's just the way it is. That, that's God being a just God. That's our, that's our world being a just world. And, and when you break the law, there's consequences for that. But don't try to use this poor man who in that moment defended Jesus to be your excuse for not surrendering to Jesus fully, including baptism. What this does tell me is this. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with, forgiveness is possible in Jesus. Today, today you're going to be with me in paradise. It had to be the most comforting words that that man could hear that day. Then as Jesus is going through this, this all started at nine o'clock in the morning. And nine o'clock in the morning is when he was actually lifted on to the cross. Now, it's seven hours time difference from here to Jerusalem. So like right now, it's already well into Saturday in Jerusalem. So when Jesus was crucified at nine in the morning there, it was two o'clock at night here. In fact, in our part of the world, Jesus is already dead he's already in the tomb but there in Jerusalem on that day as he's hanging on a cross John records this he looks he says Jesus looks and standing near the cross was his mother and his mother's sister Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene the three Marys are all there and when Jesus saw that his mother was standing there next to the disciple that he loved. That's really interesting that that's how John records it because he's talking about himself. 
the disciple that Jesus loved was John. And so he's the guy that's writing this. And he says, he noticed that Mary's standing there next to the disciple that he loved. Feeling pretty good about yourself right now, right, John? (laughs) But Jesus said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And then he said to that disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Can you imagine, can you imagine the horror of watching your best friend die? And knowing that you're standing next to his mother. Can you imagine your best friend in some of his final words saying, I'm counting on you to take care of mom. What would you have done? What, 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 would you have, what hoops would you have jumped through? What expenses would you have been willing to bear? Maybe John was the one who asked Jesus, hey, is there anything I can do? Maybe John was the one that Jesus asked because still at that moment, Jesus' half-brothers, the fully biological sons of Joseph and Mary, they didn't yet believe One of them is a guy named James who became a leader in the church of Jerusalem after the resurrection, after he really understood who Jesus was. Could it be that Jesus looked at John because he didn't have any siblings that understood what was going on yet? And so John is asked, will you take care of my mom? Good Friday. There's nothing good about that, right? Except that John did it. Except that John was there, standing that close to the cross when others were still in hiding. He was right there when Jesus needed a favor. When things get tough in your life, do you get closer to Jesus or do you draw away? Do do you draw as close to the foot of the cross as you can or do you hide in the outskirts hoping maybe he won't see where you're at? The next thing Jesus said, baffled me for years. I didn't think too much about it when I was a kid growing up, but even a teenager. But once, once I surrendered and said, okay, God, I'll be a youth minister until Jesus comes back. And I actually started reading this stuff. I got to this part in Luke 23 in verse 45. And it says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And at about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, I, I couldn't get my brain around that. I, I couldn't understand that at all. He's God in flesh. The, the Father sent him. He is the Son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David once wrote in Psalm 27, excuse me, Psalm 37, I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Forsake, forsake means to abandon, to leave helpless. Being forsaken is a horrific experience, but to be forsaken by God would be the worst. But was that really what was going on? Surely God had not forsaken Jesus. Later statements show Jesus knew that his father didn't forsake him, but did momentarily leave him helpless. Momentarily, he left him helpless there on the cross. Why did he do that? Well, first of all, because Jesus is taking upon himself the sins of all humanity. He was becoming the ultimate scapegoat that you can read about in the Old Testament when they would sprinkle the blood of the lamb onto a goat, a baby goat, and shoo it off into the wilderness symbolically to take the sins of the people away for that year. But Jesus is not doing it for that year. He's doing it for all eternity. Isaiah said, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
God would not intervene to ease anything associated with the penalty of sin. Because that penalty had to be paid. And in these last moments, Jesus is paying the price. Sin causes suffering. If not immediately, it always causes it on the backside. When we realize or when people are hurt by the things that we do, Christ bore its full weight, its full suffering, including the emotional trauma of comprehending how sin distances us from God. Because God can't stand to be in the presence of sin. Have you ever felt alone? Probably probably some of you have this week. I have. But have you ever felt like you were so and that you couldn't see anybody? You you were alone. You're in the you're in a you're in a spot where you don't know if anybody else is around at all and you are nervous to say the very least. Somewhere between nervous and terrified in that moment. Christ knows that feeling. And he can give you the understanding and the faith that you need in those times. There's something else that is noteworthy here. Earlier that day, the religious leaders, clearly rejecting him as their savior, had taunted Jesus, going so far as to mock him with the words from Psalm 22, a messianic prophecy. When Jesus later cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He too quoted Psalm 22, the same Psalm that his tormentors had used earlier in the day. Using this scripture and using it back to them was his soft rebuttal that they were indeed crucifying the Messiah. And then Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And so to fulfill scripture, on this day, he fulfilled so many prophecies. And here in John 19 and verse 28 and 29, he says, I am thirsty. It was prophesied that the Messiah would say that. And so a jar of sour wine was sitting there and they soaked a sponge in it and put it up on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. In in his anguish, Jesus remained clear-headed though. Aware of the prophecy from Psalm 69 verse 21, that he aware that it still needed to be fulfilled. For my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And so in this moment, that prophecy is fulfilled. And it again demonstrates his physical suffering. He therefore understands when you're hurting as well. But thirsting, even more importantly, is also a spiritual matter. Remember Jesus taught? Remember that woman that came to the well trying to get water? And he told her, he said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus walked completely in our shoes. And so the things that we would experience, he's experiencing all those human things. For those that think that, well, Jesus, yeah, Jesus on the cross, that's why he was here, right? And they say that in such a way that sometimes they think it was easy. That's what he was born to do. And so no big deal. No big deal. So God died on a cross. Yeah, no big deal. No, he's human right now. He's taken our sins and he's taken them into eternity. And then in verse 30 of John 19, after Jesus had tasted that sour wine, that vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. 
I think sometimes we just need to let the reality of that sink in. I, I think we need to be reminded of the horror of everything that happened and be reminded that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did Jesus finish? That day, he, he, we see at least 25 messianic prophecies fulfilled. He finished those, witnessing to the inspiration of God's word. At the age of 12, Jesus had said, I've got to be about my father's business. And now that work that he was committed to was finished. He was only minutes away from concluding his ultimate work in the flesh, offering himself as an atoning sacrifice in his beaten and bruised and bloody body paid for our sins. Jesus never wavered from his destiny. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world and now he is triumph. Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith for, for whom the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And he also, in this moment, finished Satan's fate. <laughs> All the irony of that. In that moment, Satan thought he'd won. But it was through Jesus' death that he might destroy Satan, who had the power of death over us. Satan remains to be cast into the bottomless pit. But his time's coming. And then, then at three o'clock, which would have been eight o'clock in the morning for us, he said this. By this time, it was about noon, and the darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle, from top to bottom. That, 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 was, that was so symbolic because it proved if a man was going to tear the curtain in the temple, he would have had to have grabbed it at the bottom and ripped it up. But the curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. Only God could have done that. And then Jesus shouted in a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And with those words, he breathed his last. Jesus there, once again, is actually quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Psalm 31. Jesus had existed on earth, both fully God and fully man, but he had chosen to sacrifice his deity for those years to exist on earth as fully man. And now, now, he's going to go rest for a few hours. But he's getting ready to reconnect with the Father. For Jesus to pray, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, would be an extraordinary statement to make right at the edge of death, right at the point when no earthly hope was left. It would mean that you had to believe that you would live eternally with God. It would be the assertion of life after death. What makes this Good Friday? What makes Good Friday good is it's not the end. The story ain't over. You still have time too. You still have time to commit your life into his hands. Jesus isn't finished with you yet. He's not done writing your story. There are chapters, even if you've accepted him, he's still got chapters. The fact that you ain't dead means he ain't done, right? He's still got stories to write. But the best part is if you haven't accepted him, that chapter remains to be written in your story. The power 
over death is for you if Jesus is your Savior and Lord. So on this Good Friday, I choose to cherish that old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. And I'll cling to that old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. We're going to finish tonight by remembering. By remembering what Jesus did for us. And I'm going to pray and worship team's going to come back and there'll be some music and we're going to take communion now. So after I pray, if you haven't already gone and gotten the emblems, you know where the stations are. You can go and pick up the emblems. Maybe you want to take just a brief moment and kneel at the foot of the cross over there yourself and partake of communion. Maybe you want to get together in a circle with your family or friends or whoever's here and pray your own prayer in addition to the one that I pray. Maybe you just need to be really still and remember how much God loves you. And, and tonight, if you're here tonight and you'd really like to invite Jesus into your life, then, then what I'd ask you to do is just come and talk to me. I'm going to be sitting right down here on the front of the stage. And, and I'll talk to you. I'll connect you with other people that'll pray with you. And you can get ready for a baptism celebration tonight or maybe Sunday. We know there's at least one Sunday. So we want to give you a moment to reflect, to partake, to worship. And if tonight is the night that Jesus is telling you, come on, this is for you. I, I want you. I want you to be with us in eternity. Let's talk about it. See what God's got in store for you. Will you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you for this night, for this moment, for these people, for everything that you're doing here on the hill. God, be with us as we partake. Help us to remember just how incredible your love for us is. And God, tonight, if there's someone that needs to accept you as their Savior and Lord, would you give them the courage to do that? And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.